Welcome to A Pilgrimage of Unfolding Grace, a podcast intended to extend the conversation on themes from my book of the same name. In this journey, I want to help you explore your story with God, your personality in the light of Christ, and the gifts you've been given by the Holy Spirit. I believe your calling is found at the intersection of these related themes, if you learn to listen carefully enough. Here's a portion of my book on the concept of Judea. The writer Anne Lamott says the most powerful sermon we can ever preach is Me Too. She's speaking to the special form of authority we carry when we see others living a story we intimately know because it is our story as well. Our hearts are more open because of empathy. The people who are just like us may be of a similar background, either ethnically or nationally, but it may be that they share the same spirit that dominated our lives before we met God. They also feel isolation or rejection or unseen. Your kingdom authority is not because you've read all the right books or done the proper courses or are an eloquent speaker, but because you are drawn in by sacred familiarity. This is almost always your first and primary calling in your life's work. I had the honor of sitting down with my friend Johnny to talk about his years-long struggle with addiction, how God has moved miraculously time and again to bring healing to his story, and how it's opened him to understand his calling to his own personal Judea. So today we're going to talk about the concept of Judea, and um, it's something we've talked about a lot in our community, um, that coming from Matthew 10, that Jesus often calls us our first calling, or maybe our most profound, the the most profound place we can connect with others is when we come alongside someone and say, me too. Um, So Johnny, when I was putting together this project, uh, you were one of the first people that I thought of for this, because we've been working together for years, um, seeing you overcome and continue to overcome so much in uh in your life which is an inspiration to a lot of people in this community um and a sign of hope um so yeah we just, we'll talk today about um your journey and what it's been like for you to uh, be able to name and then inhabit your own personal judea so um why don't you just give us like a brief overview of like your story however far back you want to begin us well I think I, I, I want to go back to um, growing up and moving into addiction because okay. I've struggled with addiction for a long time and it's a chain in my family. My, oh, my okay. dad, you know, was, um, was definitely an alcoholic, so there were addictive behaviors. Um, other, I have siblings that have moved into addiction um, and it's like... Uh, I didn't know I was going to be the one to to break the chain or break the cycle with my family, but it's been a long journey, and uh, it's impacted my life in some really, really negative ways, um, including um, uh, in 1995, getting sick with HIV mm-hmm. and uh, almost dying. Um, my T-cells were down to like 14 which meant I virtually had no immune system. Uh, my fingernails had rotted off. Um, 
I had wasting syndrome, so no matter what I ate, I couldn't put on weight. Mm. Um, my toenails had rotted off. I had thrush in my mouth. And the worst, one of the worst things I've ever experienced in my life, I had um, night sweats where you'd wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, shaking, freezing. Your bed would be soaking wet because all the perspiration in your body would just leak out. Um, and the funny thing, the sad thing is... I went through this alone for a long time wow. because I felt so ashamed of the person I was and the things I had done in my life. Um, I didn't feel worthy to even pick up the phone and call my mom and tell her what was going on. I didn't want to tell my brother. Um, finally, I, 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 I got up enough courage to reach out to a family member. Um, I remember my doctor told me... Um, don't quit your job, keep going. And I was going into work, and at the time, my insurance wasn't very good, and I went to find out about the medication they had, and the medication wasn't very good at the time mm. either. Um, and I uh, got uh, couldn't get the medication because my current insurance was asking me to pay for three months of meds, which is it was astronomically expensive, and then they would reimburse me within six months and i was like i can't even afford the first month wow. so i lived until open enrollment without any medication in that condition going to work um and finally when open enrollment happened i switched to an insurance policy that would cover the medication but the medication at the time was azt which was an anti-cancer drug which didn't do a lot. I would vomit in the morning, I'd vomit in the afternoon, I'd vomit in the evening. Um, it just made me so sick. Um, and it's funny because like, I look back and I can just see the hand of God so many places in my story. I remember walking into the doctor just knowing that the ACT was not a good medication. And I told them, I said, my T-cells haven't gone up that much. I was getting like, maybe 60 um when under 200 was considered aids and uh healthy immune systems like 500 to a thousand wow okay um so i told him i said i i refuse to take azt i will not take that medication find something else and he said if you don't take the medication as prescribed i don't have to be your doctor i said fine i'll go to get another doctor he said stop well i'll work with you gosh wow and uh <clears throat> He put together some strange combination of like 36 or 37 different medications that I was taking in the morning, in the afternoon. Uh, I took was taking a massive amount of pills, but in the combination he put together, he hit on the cocktail. The cocktail that would become HIV medication that would reverse AIDS in people totally by chance, I think not. I think it was one of the moments that God was like, "You're not. I'm not ready for you to go yet. Mm. And people were dying around me. Um, and I started getting better. And my T-cells started going up. And then they finally went above 200. Um, I did finally tell my brother I was still having a hard time with it. And I fought every step of the way. I was not going to give up. Um, the whole time, I, 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 I stayed in addiction. Um, I made a lot of mistakes um, with the people I associated with, with my life. A lot of it 
I based incorrectly on being someone who was terminally ill, and I let that kind of navigate my life hmm. um, because I didn't really have a relationship with God at the time or someone else who was going to tell me differently. Um, my addiction kind of grew and grew until I finally started using methamphetamines. Um, it even got to the point where I was shooting up and uh, I was so addicted to it that it became my sole function. Wow. As a matter of fact, drugs became my God. I didn't care if I was gonna go to jail. I didn't care if, I was, if it was gonna kill me. It was like I was willing to do everything to get high. And uh, I got high every day. Um, I went to work high. I, I was like a mess. And then finally I got to the point where I was so depressed, I decided to go to a 12-step recovery program. And I walked into the meeting, and the only thing that I could admit was that I was an addict. Um, and I looked at the 12 steps, and I did the first one, which you have to admit where you're at. And the second one got me kind of, well, I was very apprehensive mm. because it said something about turning to a higher power. And I was like, and then the third one actually mentioned God. Okay, because you, you had kind of grown up in church. I had. I had grown up in a Catholic church. Um, I, I did go to a non-denominational church for a short period. Um, there were reasons that I left it. And I ended up walking away from my relationship with God. I don't know if my relationship with God was ever that strong. Um, I think I was pretty self-centered and opinionated mm -hmm. and not very open-minded. Um, and it's funny that the 12-step the, the programs are loaded with what they call spiritual principles. Yeah. And three of the basic spiritual principles they talk about are honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Um, I got the honesty part down pretty clear. Um, I would be very honest with people about my addiction. Um, I even was very honest when I relapsed because I relapsed a ton of times. Sure. And, uh, but I didn't have the open-mindedness part down hmm. at all. Um, and the open-mindedness went with the second step where we came to believe. And the third step is we actually turn our will and our life over to the care of the God of our understanding. Um, that's where the willingness comes in. Well, eventually I got the open-minded part and started to explore, but I didn't know what I was looking for. Hmm. I was exploring meditation. I was exploring, what do you, what do you guys believe? You know, what is over here? And, uh, I made a prayer and I asked God to help me with my spirituality. And, uh, I, it might've been the, uh, very sincere prayer it's funny because let me backtrack a little bit i i got i had a couple my first sponsor said he wouldn't be my sponsor anymore i i relapsed a lot i was very angry my anger was just basically to hide my fear yeah because i was so scared of the world and, and people yeah. what was so what was um <clears throat> you know it's it, it not necessarily like in some ways addiction has a common starting point like i i like i think this is kind of some, somewhere in 12-step spirituality that like addiction is not a problem it's a solution to a problem it's not a very good solution um what the was funny the funny thing is it's um 
it talks about addiction in some of the recovery literature I've read, and it says that your addiction can manifest itself in ways that have nothing to do with drugs or alcohol. Yes. And the first time I read that, I went, wait, I thought drugs were my problem. And then people were like, if drugs are your problem, you're in the wrong place. Mm. Uh, and I was like, okay, so what is the problem? And they go, addiction is the problem, not the, the drugs are the symptom. Yeah. And you can treat the symptoms of an illness all day long and never cure the illness. Exactly. So what, what do you, at this point in your life, with the work that you've done, um, and even in, more particularly the work that you've allowed God to do in your life, what what was the real problem that this was an attempt at finding a solution to? Like Separation going way way from back. God. Okay. Addiction is a spiritual malady, and the only thing that will fill that hole, the hole that we were created for, is to develop a relationship with God. Um, that can be problematic when you have a warped opinion of God. Sure. And because of the person I was and the life I had lived and what I had heard from Christians, I was pretty convinced that God didn't want anything to do with me. Um, it would take me a long time to get around to where I understood how much God loved me. Um, when that started to become clear, all the times that God saved my life, like just like open, my eyes were opened and, and all of a sudden I and saw you kind of looked back and you're like oh here and here and here and here yeah um and I um have um my relapses continued in into my walk with God and uh I struggled with that because I thought I'm like a Christian and like this should not be part of my life now <laughs> right. and I'm confused um and it got so bad that the last time that I used, I shot up three times more dope than I had ever in my life, and I fell to the floor, and I'll never forget the man that was helping me, or helping me, hurting me, <laughs> um, say, don't die on me, don't die on me, don't die on me. And I was like, I've got to get some help. And I reached out to um, a person at our church, and I reached out to my community group, and I was like, this really sucks because I have to be honest about this. I have to be humble. And these people know me. I've been coming around. Yeah. But I was. And I thought, I can't do this. And I, and I, and I went to my community group and I decided to be 100% open with them and share my story and share exactly where I was and what I was going through. And I got nothing but love and support from the people in my community group. They came, they rallied around me, and they brought a deacon into the group to um, to pray over me, and they prayed over me, and they, they anointed me with oil, and it was like God delivered me from my addiction. It was like I felt different. I don't know what changed, but there was like from that moment, it seemed like there was something different about me. Um and then I realized I didn't have a desire to use drugs. It was gone. Hmm. And uh, it became part of my lexicon to tell other people. And I have always felt that my Judea was working with other people who are struggling with addiction. Because I've been there. I've walked through it. And uh, it, it doesn't bat an eye, you know? Yeah. A friend of mine called me and said, I've been homeless. I'm on the street three days. I called another friend and said, let's go get him. 
and it was it just felt like the right thing to do where i know some people might be a little hesitant yeah. to drive to daytona and pick somebody off of the street but you know and i don't know where he is right now but i got him in a detox i i helped him get in a halfway house and and then he moved on and i think he may be back in the street i mean i i i know the mo of an addict who's in relapse um and the only thing i can do is pray now yes but i planted a seed you know and i know he's got a belief in god yeah um you know um so we're kind of modeling this judea sumerians of the earth over matthew 10 but right at the end of matthew 9 <clears throat> it's where jesus talks about like it says that he looked upon um the people uh, and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that word compassion, we've talked about a lot in our community, like if, if you were to translate it literally from the Greek, it means like his guts were clenched. Like he felt it at the core. And it just sets the tone then when you watch Jesus interact with people. That it's that It's like what you're talking about there with that story. Like I can't not be there. Like you didn't, you didn't just sit and think well should i do this i've got things to do today you're like no this is like it's an act of compassion it's like your guts compelled you to step in no and i, be I there literally walked i had to walk into my boss's office and tell her i needed to leave work yeah that's not something that i do lightly but i knew it was the right thing like it, and it was there i was like i've got i've got to follow through with this and uh i don't know a lot of times that's the part that feels right for me. Mm. Like, I feel like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to say, you know? Um, and sometimes, you know, we stumble. I think the good thing is, because it is my Judea, people with addiction, I have empathy. And empathy towards other people, being able to feel, not sympathy, but empathy, being mm -hmm. able to actually feel what they're experiencing, know makes those people much more open to you um, right they they want to listen they want to know what you did like how did you get out and that's something that we say in recovery often hey i got a way out come follow me yeah because i think i think it's it's addiction is a really powerful example because well there could be so many stigmas and it can be really scary and intimidating for people who don't struggle with addiction to try to meet somebody where they're at because we don't know and we fumble or we're giving over to like prejudices or, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the things that you hear out and about. It's like, oh, well, you just need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or they deserved it early. You know, it, it is ridiculous. I, yeah. It's impossible. I feel like, I mean, certainly in your lifetime, I hope you've seen this sort of stigma change when it comes to people who are in addiction where there is a bit more compassion um, that it's not just like, oh, they're bad people who are getting what they deserve. It's funny. We were talking the other day, and if you look at the history of some of the 12-step programs, it's amazing that that um, it was it used to be illegal for addicts to gather together. That was against the wow. law. And now we meet in groups and help each other. Yeah. You know, um, I was talking to someone the other day. They said, in their country it's forbidden for addicts to to gather wow. and i thought yeah that used to be in the united states too and i thought how difficult is it to not even be able to have a place to talk to other addicts to help them to have to go to the park or hide you know? yeah um i do um feel that like 
I feel like that God is a big part of 12-step programs. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are like, but it doesn't say Jesus. And I'm like, I know it doesn't need to. It's pointing people in that direction, and that's the ministry. Yeah. That's the step. And when people ask me, the amazing thing is, I have one sponsee right now, but a lot of sponsees I've had have been atheists, and they've come to me to ask them, and I'm like, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to tell you my story. I said, I'm not going to force it on you, but you're asking someone. And they're always like, yeah, I know, I know. But they like what I have, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I guess is a good sign. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's funny, with the whole God thing, I remember having to, the, the, the part of the 12 steps where it requires you to surrender. And uh, I didn't want to surrender hmm. because I thought it was defeat. I thought it was quitting. I had done so much I thought on my own because I had this false sense that I was in control of my life when I, I was in control of nothing. Hmm. Um, it got easier when somebody told me that surrender just means you're going to the winning side. And I was like, well, yeah, I kind of do want to be on the winning side. <laughs> and um, it's funny, I, I couldn't um, have a relationship with God until I threw out all the false narratives that I had okay. on God. And when those were gone, I became open to possibilities. Um, I heard someone recently say, um, whenever someone tells them they don't believe in God, he says, tell me the, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And I probably agree with you. (laughs) Oh yeah. There's a, there's a lot of narratives and images of God that I don't like at all. Um, but, um, so, um, one of the quotes that I include in the book is from this writer, Anne Lamont, and she says, the greatest gospel we can preach is the gospel of me too. And that's what you're talking about, like with the difference between empathy and sympathy, for example, is when you can come alongside of somebody and go, I actually know this story. And what I, what I think is so profound about yours is like the way you talk about God, these aren't like cheap phrases that prevent you like sometimes we can hold on to our faith as a way to like uh, just make ourselves feel better, like or to prevent ourselves from seeing the reality of a situation. Like that's this is hard earned stuff that you're talking no, about. Like God has profoundly changed yeah. like every area of my life. Right, and it's not. He's restored cheap. things that I lost. Um, he's uh, just I, I. When I was in active addiction, like I I, I can't even fathom. Or, or I can't even express what it's like to be completely hopeless mm. and to think that there's no way out. There's nothing that's going to free me from this. And then to see the path. That's what I love about the 12 steps too. It doesn't hammer people in the head with a Bible or scripture verses. It doesn't condemn. It invites people to share their story with others. Yeah. And the whole goal of all 12-step programs, the end goal, the number 12 step, is to having spiritual awakening. Yeah. doesn't define it. It doesn't uh, <clears throat> get it in uh, in these fine little boxes or anything. But I think that's the beauty of it because we're not called to define God. Uh, we're not called to defend God. We're called to demonstrate God. Right. 
And when we demonstrate God in our lives, people listen. Yeah. I mean, I think we're the best testaments that other people read, you mm-hmm. know, because they're not reading the Bible, you know. And when you, when they see someone share their story with sincerity, they listen. I'm always amazed when yeah. I share my story and people come up and want to talk to me or people are like, wow, that was really inspirational. I was like, and I never feel like it is, yeah. but I'm like, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. But I love and value um, honest and open sharing and, and, and gut-wrenching. And it's amazing the way a 12-step meeting is set up. People have time to share. And sometimes you may hear someone share. And you're like, okay, please finish because <laughs> <laughs> we all know the way you're talking. And then you hear someone who's shaking and they're scared to open their mm. mouth. And they go into this just raw honesty and... When someone does that, this is the amazing thing. The power of a share like that shifts the whole room. Yeah. And then it's like people start like pouring out and it's like you can just feel like the spirit of God just like move into those meetings yeah. because it's like, oh my gosh, it's like God's going to come here and change people's lives today. And it happens. Um, and it's funny because... Uh, I prayed and I asked God to help me with my spirituality as I was working my way up the steps. And I ended up meeting a man who I didn't know and I started sharing my story with him and I thought it was awful strange and I had a spare room in the house and he's like, I'm going to move in. And I found out he was a church planter and uh, somebody stopped me and said, wait, you asked God to help with your spirituality and a pastor moved in with you? <laughs> I said, when you say it like that, it does sound right, kind of supernatural. Right, right, right. Um but it's the people that came into my life, the ministers I met, the Christians I met, and not they, they were wonderful people because all every single person did was point me to Jesus. Mm. That's all they did. None of them asked me to come to their church. None of them said, told me how I had to believe about certain things. They just pointed me to Jesus, and that was the open door for me. Yeah. Um, and I had a sponsor. I did relapse a lot less when I made it to the third step. And uh, I had a sponsor rush me to the third step. I said, why did you rush me through the third step? And that's where you turn your will and life over to God. And he said, because the rate of relapse tends to drop drastically when people make it to the point where they mm-hmm. turn their life over to God. Um, and it's funny because it talks about, in a lot of recovery literature I've read, the levels of addiction, where some people need more help. And some people have, you know, there's not just one playing field or one thing that works. And I definitely think I was in maybe a deeper level because it, it took the prayer and the deliverance to really free me from my yeah. addiction. Yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed about Judea is there's the potential for this extraordinary kind of empathy of being able to say, me too. But there's also this risk of uh, becoming calloused uh, where you think, oh my gosh, I, I've overcome this. I can't, I can't believe that you can't, like you're not doing yeah, it. And so I, for me, like I'd say my Judea, a lot of it is like disillusioned church kids. And I have to really watch myself because I recognize one of the greatest avenues for the kingdom that God has given me is to, is to, is to love people well who have grown up in church, feel a little bit disillusioned by what they've been handed in 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 religion, 
Um, but it's so easy for me to become, to have like a, a superiority complex. So what, what's that been like for you, talking specifically about maintaining humility in ministering to your Judea? I think one of the things, and this is going to sound strange, is I value every relapse I've ever had because I had to humble myself mm. every time, go back and be honest. I tried going back to recovery, going, I'm just not going to tell anybody, but that's very prideful, and I couldn't stay clean. And I was like, oh, I have to tell people. I have to be honest. And that gives you a dose of humility mm. when you fail, and when you fail repeatedly. And I know that that's with me, you know? But I'm grateful because that humility has helped me be more empathetic mm. for the people people who do relapse and the people who don't get it. Um, I know we have some safeguards in, in recovery. Uh, we encourage people to share out of their own experience and not give advice to people. Mm. Um, it's it, the, the whole spirit of anonymity is another thing that we use to um, not have our shares come from a place of authority because... Um, it's funny because, you know, there's doctors, there's lawyers, there's engineers in recovery rooms, but they're anonymous in the the meeting, and when they're there, they're an addict. Mm. And uh, so there's this, like, very level playing It's like field. it peels off some of those accomplishments that we might have mm-hmm. that give us the illusion that we've got it together and we're, we're strong and capable by ourselves. And it's funny because there's... There's, there, it's kind of like two-edged because I'm not bringing my accomplishments in, but I'm bringing in the God that delivered the Israelites yeah, from yeah, Pharaoh. Yeah. I'm bringing in this powerful God that that when I'm scared, because there's times, one time I was asked to share my story at Recovery Center down in, uh, I think it was St. Cloud, and I got really nervous as I'm driving down there. I was like, what are these people going to think of me? They're, and they're like a bunch of drug addicts. And I went, wait, I'm a drug addict. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. and then I was like, well, God's going to give me the words, you know? Yeah. And then I have to say, like, I'm not an expert, but God is. God's an expert in everything, you know? Yes. And if I've been asked to talk to somebody, you know, I know I have a story, and it's clear that he wants me to share it. Yeah. You know? In the Orthodox Church, one of the most consistent prayers is, what we call the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I think for a lot of us in kind of an American church setting where it's about positive mindset, it's like, oh, don't speak that over yourself. Like, don't, you know, it's even, I, I know it's a critique sometimes of the 12 steps. Like, oh, you're not an addict. You're like, you're, I had, and it's I like, was, it can be condemnatory, but I it can also be liberating Bible to say that. one time, and there was another woman who joined us and she, the first thing, because she, she knew that I had, was in recovery, and she said, you identify yourself as an addict? I said, yes, I do. She goes, that's horrible. Mm. She goes, you need to stop that. Those are words of death. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I said, no, it's actually quite freeing, you know? And uh, I have to recognize where I came from, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a part of, that keeps us humble, you know? Yeah. I mean... Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, if that's where Jesus' love is, then that's where I want to be. And and I love the people I see in addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, When I was struggling with with, uh, relapse, 
people would constantly come up to me, don't quit before the miracle happens. Don't quit before the miracle happens. I'd be like, what miracle are they talking about? And uh, then it hit me, oh, I'm the miracle. Yeah. Because every day an addict is clean is a miracle. Right. And I like have all these miracles. And I look back at, I didn't die of HIV. That's a miracle. Oh, my doctor got the right combination before they even knew what it was. That's a miracle. Oh, when I shot up that ridiculous amount, God didn't let me die, you know? God has had his hand on me. And I believe that, you know, it, God is there, mm-hmm. you know? God, I, I, was, I remember I was at an NA meeting when I was struggling, and uh, there was a woman who had just got a year, and she said, uh, you know, I have this little coin in my pocket. It has a serenity prayer on it. And I didn't have maybe more than 30, 60 days. She was, I want to give it to someone who I believe in, who I believe is going to make it. And she said, Johnny, come up here. Mm. And I stood up and I just like could feel like the spirit of God on me. Mm. And she handed me this coin. And as corny as it sounds, it was like I held on to that. And that was the longest time that I stayed. I I think I went two years. Mm. Um, My sponsor relapsed. There was a lot of things going on. Um, But... There's a lot of factors to recovery, yeah. you know, and you have to get all the pieces working together. Yeah, yeah. there's this, um, this little parable that Jesus t- tells about um, the widow and her lost coins, and she sweeps the whole house clean until she finds them. And then in her joy, she throws a party and invites all of her neighbors to celebrate. And to me, that speaks to being able to simultaneously hold a sense of humility with your own story but then also out of that to have a real joy where it's like, I'm not coming to you in a prescriptive way to tell you this is what you need to do. And I'm wagging your finger like this worked for me and you need to do this. But it's like, no, in my joy of what I have, what I was lost and then has now been found, I want to bring you into that. And that, that to me, that's what that celebration of Judea is like. And, and I've encountered the prescriptive people mm-hmm. in recovery and when I was first in recovery, I was so irritated by them. I would walk away. <laughs> and there's a line in a piece of recovery literature. It says, we share our experience, strength, and hope. We avoid giving advice to the newcomer lest they lose our respect. And mm, uh, wow. I find that to be very, very true. I've become more tolerant of the person who wants to pontificate. Um, I find it the same way in Christianity. Sometimes sure. I like... You have to understand where they're... Co- like. Maybe they don't see it, but you're like, oh, I, I kind of get where you're coming from, even though I don't agree with your approach. But, you know, I've learned to become much more tolerable of those yeah. people. It's very, I think it's very detrimental to a newcomer, though. Yeah. You know, it's so hard to to listen to, to somebody who wants to give you a prescription. Mm. And sometimes the person doesn't even know you very well. Yeah. And they may give you the wrong prescription. I remember sharing one time that I wanted to use. And that is something that we do do in a recovery meeting. We will, if, if you have the desire, share it, get it out there, talk about it. And so, and it's difficult, but I've heard people with 30 years say, hey, I wanted to use today. And I'm like, wow, like that's humility because we're admitting that this has come up and this could be a problem. Um, well, I remember leaving the meeting and having a guy corner me and go, dude, what if you had HIV? 
He goes, I don't know if I could even stay clean. He goes, I'd probably go out and use. And I walked away going, oh, no. did that guy just tell me I have a license to go shoot up? Because I've, but he didn't know anything about me. Yeah. He walked up and gave a prescription, oh. you know? And it was like, tell me your story. Tell me what you did to recover, you know? Don't try to prescribe things. I mean, I think that's a very dangerous thing unless you know that God has put specific words on your heart to share with somebody. And even then, I would probably check your motives. Slow down just a little know? bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the the other part of why I was excited to talk to you is that I I don't want it to come across that discovering our calling means that our calling becomes our vocation. Like for some people, it does. Some for some people, they find a career um, that meets their calling. But there's other people that have a career that is very fulfilling that provides for them so that their calling doesn't become a source I, of income or whatever? I had a career, and I left it. Okay. And I moved into actually to try to do some recovery work. And I thought, this is going to be great. I'm yeah. going to get to to work helping people get into detox. And, and I hated it. <laughs> it was horrible. And I wasn't even good at it. And I thought, <laughs> why am I not good at this? But working in recovery is very different from being in recovery. Okay. Um, and sometimes where your work doesn't line up with what you believe should be the right thing to do. Mm. And sometimes it's about who has the right insurance, getting people into detox. And it's not necessarily about bringing the message. Yeah. Um, recovery in 12 step groups are open to anyone, yeah. you know, and people are encouraged to be there. I ended up leaving bouncing around in a few jobs and then going back to the career that I wasn't really happy in, but I was in it in addiction. And now I am so fulfilled in that career. Yeah, it's so cool. It has nothing to do. I'm so, so excited and so happy. And I'm getting a lot of praise from my boss and other people because they see the passion that I have brought to it. Yeah. And it's totally has nothing to do with what God has called me to do. Would you say then, like, does it take the pressure off ministry to your personal Judea that you don't have to, it, like, your your income is not tied to it? Yeah, and the fact that I don't have to work in it. Um, and a lot of people, I've talked to other people who were recovering addicts who thought it would be a good idea to get a job at a treatment center, or and most of them left. Mm. Most of them are like, this is not where I need to be. Um, some, some do, some sure. like fall in, but that's the exception usually and not the rule. It just seems like a smaller percentage. Um, and some of those facilities, we need people who are outside of addiction. We right. need expertise. We need doctors. We need nurses. We right. need people who are going to help with medical conditions that addicts may not be capable of. I love when those places ask for our input. Um, I'm very involved um, I was very involved, I should say, and I'm starting to get more involved in a group called H&I, which is hospitals and institutions, and they bring recovery meetings into um, treatment centers. Okay. And I've had the opportunity to run into other people that I've spoke to, people that I've helped, um, and uh, sometimes they make it and sometimes they don't. Um, but... Uh, that is very, very um, fulfilling. Yeah. But it's like, it's part of my calling. 
and it's like yeah. And we and we've talked before. This would be skipping ahead in the book a little bit, so people have to wait. But when we talk about spiritual gifts, like I think it was this past summer, you and I working together, we really honed in on like, yeah, like we're all called to serve, mm-hmm. but God has really given you a gift of service, uh, and I think you especially feel fulfilled in like practical serving practical needs, right? Like it's like showing up, doing the actual thing. Yeah, like I love. Like if someone asked me to chair a meeting, I'd love if somebody asked me to 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 um, tell my story. You know, they're like, "Hey, can you come in? We need a speaker. We need." And, and it's like, and sometimes I'll I'll go to do that. And think I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? And then I'll leave and I'll be like, "Oh, I'm so thankful that I did that. Yeah. You know, that was such a blessing for me, especially when you see other people being responsive to you to what you have to share." Um, but, uh, and, you know, I enjoy serving at church, you know. I enjoy, though, the practical things like if someone came into a meeting hungry, like, yeah, let's take them out to eat after, mm-hmm. you know. Let's give them some food. Let's, oh, you, let's get them a ride if they need it, you right. know. Um, and I think there's a whole aspect of, I don't know, some people might agree with me, but there's a practical element of Christianity mm-hmm. that... I think sometimes we're not really good at following. Um, I yeah. mean, you could talk to somebody about God to you're blue in the face. If they're hungry, they're probably going to be thinking about food and not listening to you. Right. And it's like, you got to feed them. You know, you yeah. got to. And it shouldn't come with an attachment, you know. And uh, it's funny. I had a minister's wife that I met. A friend of mine introduced me to his pastor and his wife from North Carolina. And he told them I was in recovery, and I started to talk to them, and they said, we have an NA meeting at our church. How do we get those people to come to our church? Hmm. And I remember telling her, if that's your goal for having an NA meeting at your church, you probably shouldn't have one at your (laughs) church. I said, but let me tell you, whether those people come to your church or not, the fact that you're hosting it and facilitating it, there are miracles happening every day in that meeting. it's funny because we had a, a meeting at our church and some people just tended to naturally filter over to our church. And yeah, I thought it was wonderful yeah. when they did. Yeah, Some of them didn't. And I was like, okay, but that wasn't our goal. Our goal was to help addicts, right. you know? It was just a nice byproduct occasionally. Yeah. So um, aside from the obvious, what keeps you going? What keeps you invested in Judea? What keeps you empathetic and engaged and ready to show up when you get the totally out there phone call at seven o'clock at night on a Friday or whatever it is? There's a lot of fulfillment when you walk in your calling. Mm. There's a lot of joy and there's a lot of just pure amazement and happiness when God calls you and wants you to participate in someone else's miracle. Mm. And it's funny, it just reinforces the work that God does in my life and it makes everything in my life just grow. And and, uh, it's funny, like, Sometimes I've, I've talked about service and I, and I said, and somebody would disagree with me, but I said, 
service can be kind of selfish at times <laughs> because it just seems like when you pour out god pours back in mm -hmm. and it's always more than you give mm -hmm. um and uh i don't know maybe that's what keeps me going you know you get a closeness you you get a you you get a joy you know you get relationship and when you see god work in other people's lives and you see miracles happen wow it's just amazing yeah. you know and it reminds you because I've had so many miracles happen in my life. I can't, I can't even explain. I mean, I can put the dots together. They all lead to God. Um, and then to be called to, to, to watch it happen for other people, it's like, wow, this is great, you know? And there's lots of people. There's hundreds of people who move in that calling every day, and they will come together. And the amazing thing is, in recovery, there's there's one end of the spectrum to the other. There's right wing, there's left wing. Um, and then an addict walks into the room in trouble and the two people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> are sitting down, yeah. working together, helping him. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's the way the church should work. Yeah. That's the way that we should work. Um, and I just think it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, Johnny... Thank you so much. This was fantastic. And um, I love sitting with you, hearing you process all of this. And what I see in you is what I hope, like all of us find with Judea is like, when you discover what God has called you to and how he's called you to do it, there's a longevity. And like you said, there becomes a real joy. And we're not afraid of work. We're not afraid of hard things because we know that God will strengthen us and prepare us for the so thanks so much you're welcome so you said it was good you liked it that was great the truth is there are many categories that could make up our own personal Judea perhaps for you there's something in your culture of origin that resonates deeply within you perhaps it's part of your story and your family of origin as you've looked for a sense of belonging perhaps you were met with abandonment or abuse or isolation perhaps it's something in your faith story that gives you a sense of God's heart for different kinds of people there are a lot of different ways of approaching Judea but what's important is that we really come to terms with our own story so that we know who we are best equipped to love with that sacred phrase me too so my challenge for you this week is to sit down and as you look over your responses to the questions of story that we've already covered, who are the kinds of people that may be your personal Judea, your personal Israel, those to whom you can say, me too. And from there, I want you to consider who are people right now in your life that might resonate with something that you have or something that you're working out, you're still in process you can come alongside of them and speak on a deeper heart level to the miraculous work of God to bring healing to us in our own stories. Grace and peace to you, my friends. <laughs>